Now, it's the best of Ricky Gervais' Deadly Serious. <laughs> Comedy and stand-up. Yeah. I'm here with Robin Ince. We're talking about everything rational and irrational. But I want to, you know, your your day job is a stand-up comic. And I never really went through the, the slog. I never really... You know, uh, came out of school or college, went, right, I'm going to be a stand-up comedian. I'm going to, you know, do open mic spot, make my way to Sheffield hitching for, for no money. I never did that. Mm. I was already a little bit famous when I did my first gig. I think, uh, and my first Edinburgh show, which you, you were there, that I think it was between episode five and six of The Office first series was out. I, I, we still didn't sell it out. So no, it was I'd... remarkable, actually, because it was about a 120-seater. And, and you came round to the flat that I was staying in to actually watch the final episode of The Office. You know, that excitement of yeah. being someone who's created something and going, even though you can watch it on tape, as it would have been then, you watch it on a VHS Do you know why I watched it go out, though? I was terrified the BBC were going to make a mistake because I'd done a bit of telly before that. I'd done a thing called The 11 O'Clock Show, which was like a, I mean, a really un-PC version of SNL. I mean, yeah. I can't believe the stuff we got away with back in 98. You know, it's crazy. Telly's got a little bit more careful, yeah. I think, you know. So, and uh, I, I do sketches and, 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 oh, they edit them wrong. I did my own show and which I'd started taking charge. So I was terrified that something was going to happen. But I did watch every, I think I've watched most of my shows go out once and then never watched them again. But anyway, so t- tell me about the slog. You, you wake up one day at college, you did a gig at college or? Yeah, I mean, but I always knew that I reckon from, the age of, of probably uh, 11 or 12 years old alternative comedy had started in the United Kingdom which was uh, Rick Mail and Alexis I don't think there was ever such uh, it wasn't the same kind of change in, in the US no, in the it US wasn't. obviously you had Richard Pryor and you had George Carlin and you had a lot of you know comedy with people like Carlin and Lenny Bruce and uh, uh, Mort Sahl this kind of counter cultural comedy yeah. but alternative comedy was this this full stop we had a lot of uh, mainstream entertainment was people in frilly shirts with bow ties and it was kind of joke, joke, joke. Well, there anyway, was so two Irishmen exactly. Going to a bar. There was two things about uh, the old comics, right? Um, that 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 was somehow mainstream and acceptable. They were nearly all sexist, racist, homophobic, and they didn't write their own. They shared yeah. their material. It didn't matter who told that joke, that Irish joke, or that it was it was odd. And so when uh, so-called alternative comedy came along in the end of the 70s early 80s that's the two things they changed they they politically they they went against the the racist sexist jokes and they made wrote their own material so the material was suddenly more autobiographical yeah. in a way so by the time you know you started you were already talking you might have gone into the surreal and you did one liners but it was often your point of view and about your life. Yeah, it was the product of your head. This is the main thing. Yeah. It wasn't just... Because in the old days, you could watch five comics doing approximately uh, the same routine. And an odd thing has happened now, which is some of the autobiographical stand-up that exists in, in big theatres in the UK, is they the people have loads of writers. I and don't I get that. that. A really odd I don't, thing. I don't understand it. And big, uh, big comedians, you know... Uh, you know, playing playing arenas, and um, uh, half of us do our own. Well, there's not many that size, but half of us write our own stuff, and it's all it's all the truth. And the other half have teams of writers doing sort of really safe, analysed stuff. Like, um, what is it with buses? Yeah. Uh, you know, so it's hack stuff, but it's it didn't even happen to them. So when they say, "Oh God," you know, I was. Uh, I was signing on, you know, the doll yet. No, you weren't. You're yeah. a millionaire. Of course you weren't. And it just, the, the bottom drops out of it. I even lose some one-liners, right? I don't do many. Uh, I had one, my friend committed suicide uh, recently. Um, he just went up and swallowed everything in the bathroom cabinet. Died, choked on a tampon, right? Now, I said, oh, okay, it's not me. And I dropped it because I people think, oh, well, they know that's not true. Will they think the true stories aren't true? Yeah. So I actually lose anything that's slightly surreal or an out-and-out joke because I want them to know that everything I'm telling them is the truth. It's so important to me, the truth. Do, do, do you know what I mean? Yeah. No, I mean, I think that's what... I mean, most of the shows that I did, like the most recent one I've done, was just about art. So I was talking about predominantly 20th century uh, painters, sculptors, people. And so it all had to be real. So if I talk about what happened to me in a gallery, if I talk about various incidents, it has to be... If, if I start making up 
And, but I, yeah. I don't think it means you can't have writers or anything like that. I, I'm not against that as an idea. No, no, I no, just I. find it weird if someone is doing a routine about, so, you know, let me tell you a story involving my mum, and I shit you not about this, and knowing that five people sat in a room and someone said, write some stories about things that definitely might have happened to me with my mum, and yeah. then delivering it as real. And I love when you watch. Well, they, they, they could just say, listen... I want everyone to laugh and it works. I'm an entertainer. I'm I'm not a I'm not a sage. I'm not a truth teller. I tell jokes that may or may not have happened and they like it, which is fine. But the, what I've I've often seen happen as well is those people with writers, they keep getting accused of plagiarism where one of the writers has snuck off and seen another comic, thought, oh, I'll put this away as my own. The poor comic tells a uh, you know, <laughs> a plagiarised joke and they get in trouble. Yeah. I think the problem is as well that if you do have writers, it seems a little bit unfair to not at least credit the existence of them. So they become... Associate producers. Like, like this kind of, you know, McCarthyist thing where... Yeah. Where, or just, you know, when you're performing live, I think it's a pity that... Because I... I Personally, I don't understand it. To me, the the great thing about doing stand up comedy is you are trepanning yourself. You're going, I've got all these things in my head. Well, you, you more than you more than head. anyone. I, I I think of you, right? You are probably the most prolific, hardest working comic, maybe person in the world. I don't know. No, you're the only person I know who, when you're doing a warm up show, I, I go out on a warm up show and I go, I come back and I go to jail. I go, yeah, good, good 20 minutes. And I go, oh, I did 30 minutes. Oh, I was too ready. I did 45 minutes. Soon be ready. Oh my God, I did an hour. Soon ready. You go out and do a warm up show and you go, oh, it was two and a half hours. I got to cut an hour and a half out. I think, well, how can you do two? How can you do two and a half hours? Yeah, but there's human- a reason you see. The reason is that your stuff eventually becomes honed and crafted. Yeah. Whereas mine is somewhere, it, it, almost some nights I think I feel like it's dogged afternoon that I've basically come in there and gone right everyone sit down here's to it I mean you have got that sort of brain though you need to download stuff like I've seen you go from one gig to another on a train you get offered to do a gig at the front of the train you do that gig at the front (laughs) of the train and then you do a blog about doing the gig at the front of the train as opposed to just fucking relaxing and having a coffee it's it's like I don't know how I mean when do you do you sleep do you dream about that's I mean I think what I'm lucky is that I have the kind of scale that I work at when I'm not working with Brian I'm playing small theatres art centres I have you know I play to quite a broad audience in one way but in another way they are kind of they will be uh, a little bit kind of geeky I used to say you know it's like kind of a mixture of goths and librarians and there's quite broad age wise I have like kind of 16 year olds in and I mean I love it sometimes someone will come with a note from their mum and dad saying they're allowed to come uh, because they're you know they're 15 years old or whatever and then there'll be some people in their 80s going I really enjoyed that routine about um, Bertrand Russell I knew him actually it's like I mean, when I was doing the show about art I had these lovely things where like at the end of one of the shows about art this man came up to me and he went uh, you need to do more stuff about uh, John Cage uh, I'm from the Robert Rauschenberg Institute and, and you go brilliant and then someone else come up to me and um, it was lovely to hear you talking about the painter Stanley Spencer. Uh, my father used to have lunch with him uh, every Thursday. And something I can tell you, and so you get the thing yeah. is, it's a very different well, that's relationship lovely. I, 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 to I, I, the relationship I, that you can have because you're on a different scale. You're delivering something which the moment you go, I think, into into two uh, or 3,000, it, it's a different relationship to the very small, very niche relationship where there's a different level of responsibility, I feel, to the audience I have. Well, because- uh, yeah, I mean... Uh, that that's true. I think I've sort of done it organically as I've grown to do bigger venues. But even I know if I can sell, if I can sell five nights at Wembley, I make sure I do four nights at Wembley because that fifth night will be the people who are floating voters. They weren't your, they went with someone else, and you know you see a couple of phones go on halfway through. It's not why. Oh, I saw him in the office did a dance. Now he's talking about cancer and, yeah. and, and rape and shit. You know, so I, I try and make sure I only sell enough for everyone there to at least appreciate it, like it or, you know. So, yeah, I do worry about I don't want any percentage of the audience to be there for any other reason than, than you know. And, and, and it it's work because going around, uh, you know, my this this new tour, which is my favourite I've ever done for, for lots of reasons, because it's I, I, I confront it and I'm talking about offence, I've sort of... I've got a get out clause. They, I've I've handed them what I'm going to do, and they're pre warned, and they understand it. And I don't think I've had there's not you know one complaint. And I'm I'm still talking about the most contentious issues and uh, uh, taboo subjects, and you know being what some people would call offensive, which is subjective. But everyone there gets it. 
Well, also, that is, as you said about the office thing, when we toured together in, what was it, 2005 initially, was it? I think 2005 was the first. Was a lot of people coming who had never seen you do stand-up. You hadn't done much stand-up on television or anything like that. No. And so they are coming thinking, yeah. I like the office. And that is a different thing in, the, in a much smaller way, in the same way when I'm doing podcasts or, or you know, Radio 4 shows. Radio 4, obviously, I'm going to be quite different. I have to hold myself back and perform in a slightly different way to when I'm suddenly in a little theatre and I can just, I've got loads of things to talk about and I can talk yeah. about a different rate and I can talk about different things and I found for instance that the show that I was doing in the evenings at the Edinburgh Festival uh, which had more stuff about politics some of the audience were less comfortable because of course in science quite often you have you know there's going to be right wing people there there's going to be libertarians there right wing libertarians and I think some of them would go oh I didn't know that he was a bit left wing. Well, I, oh, I, I, bit... I, I did too. There's, there's, I, I avoid that for a couple of reasons. One, people know who I am, particularly now after 15 years. They, they, they know what they're going to get. Two, I sort of keep blatant party politics out of it because I think if you're if you're relying on getting a round of applause because they agree with your politics. That you're losing stomach comedically. That's rallying. So I, you know, I touch on it, but I, I go around. I, 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 it's more conceptual that I talk about, you know, stupidity and narcissism and, you know, uh, being irrational as opposed to saying this part is wrong. This man's an idiot. This. So, oh yeah, no, I don't like. I mean, yeah. the, the the one that I've done. Most recently, I mean, I suppose the I had one kind of like gag gagging, which is uh, talking about UK politics. Going, what I don't understand is why do so many racists live at the seaside? You yeah. think they'd want to live further away from other countries? Not really close. That's asking for trouble. Uh, but then the rest of it was a lot of it was about the hypocrisy. So the fact is that rather than say left great, because I, I was saying the trouble with being on the left, I said you know, which is it, it, kind of not a deliberate move. I'd much rather be on the right because there's a lot less reading. Um, but I'd rather you know the trouble is that not only you're fighting against the right, but quite often you're fighting against the left as well. We're going, you use the wrong word though or you did the wrong thing I know. Well, and of so talking about your own hypocrisy so at one point I would talk about uh, something where I came across well in a story and then I'd tell the story about going when I did an advert and I said and I always said I'd never do an advert and I did an advert for some sweets yeah, and I got, yeah, and and so well, out, outside some people being dressed as Hitler and some being uh, dressed as Chairman Mao, there is no left and right because it's it's all about argument, it's all about concept, and it's it's a it's not a set menu, you know. It's like the right for me of of taking the lead in defending freedom of speech in a way. It's it's got been so muddied, and what happened with the left is that there now is there's an authoritarian liberal that's. That's much more like an old authoritarian right. In a Weirdly way. enough, though, the authoritarian right will appear every time that they find that they're losing the. Uh, oh, of course. So, so the, of the, course, it, it just depends oh, it's full on of, your. But yeah. it's, it's I, full of hypocrisy. I don't even like using left and right anymore because it's become so meaningless. And often the reason I don't, I, I do think of political jokes, and I don't do them because I'm scared of alienating half the audience. I don't do them because it's almost unfair. It's too easy, and it's a bit crass. I wrote a joke the other day that I'm not going to do because I don't quite stand by it. Right, and it was um. You know, this thing come out and people saying, no, you can't compare Trump to Hitler. And I I thought of tweeting, no, of of course you can't. That's ridiculous. Hitler had the decency to shoot himself. Right. And I think, well, it that is just that's such a prejudiced view. There's loads of different ways that that can. uh, This is part of the problem with jokes is when you're doing. I mean, I agree, by the way, because I think now in terms of hypocrisy, civilization we live in is too complex for us to ethically move through it in in a pure way unless you choose to live in a cave and hope that your carrots grow that summer otherwise you're going to starve to death the problem is that every single day that's saucy need metaphor do, robin uh living in a God, cave and I, my carrots I, growing cave and i'm carrots. in a cave and my carrots growing let's Bloody play a record hell. i thought we'd avoid freudianism but suddenly why did i say cave and carrots well, the reason you said Kate, shut up. <laughs> what, what about you're a, seeing there is I know what we want. Mother. No, I'm not seeing the naked. We mother. want a bit of Willie Nelson. Uh, Willie, Willie. This is taking you a long time. Do you know what? I've never had such a long conversation with you because I came into this having no idea whether it be you making noises and being ridiculous. But because today you're being, I'm Richard Gervais. I'm very thoughtful. It's been, it's been, I've never had such a long period of you being thoughtful. Oh, yeah, I came in, you were squeaking, and then you went, let's get the squeaking out of the way before we turn on the recording equipment. Yeah. Hi, I'm Ricky Gervais. Uh, well, that, that, that's always been a source. philosophy. That's always been a source for you, the, the contradiction of a man baby jumping around wanting to squeeze you and going, Robin Hitch, look at his little yeah. thumbs, and then going, well, the thing about Kierkegaard. Yeah. That, yeah, yeah. You are, I mean, that's the thing is you, it's like, as far as for those people who don't know, so we did, we toured quite to, uh, together quite a lot, and there are just these two extremes. The two extremes are, ah, look at this, look at this, 
<laughs> oh my god, my chicken! This is the wrong chicken! I don't like this chicken! Get rid of this chicken! No, 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 no! Well, and that's I it. don't eat. I don't eat chicken you anymore. You don't eat chicken anymore. No, no. This was 11, 11 years exactly, ago, 11, yeah. twelve years ago. Yeah. And but it was that. And you go, where's that little bit in between? Going, just have a chat now. No. <laughs> or, but not like a toddler, I mean, wasn't you it? Were, you were it was, social media at that point. <laughs> there was no no bit of going, should we just talk reasonably? No, I want to place you inside this sofa. Oh, God. It, so that, the, the springs that, are hurting. Stop pushing that, me into that the springs. Yeah. That actually happened. That actually happened. Can I just say, for anyone who's listened to this, who's ever seen the extras that were on, uh, it was the Fame uh, DVD, I think, I, I think. I think you did, I think you did Politics and Fame. Politics and Fame. I think and, you did two talks. There's various things of me kind of being buried in stuff. I made you your own little swimming pool on the beach in in Newcastle in February for your birthday. I dug you a hole and then you sat in it, didn't you, in your pants, and then the sea came and made you a little swimming pool, didn't it? And and people say, why did you do that? And now if you saw the full kind of Andy Warhol version real time, what it is, is for that 25 minutes you watch, in between each moment of shame and embarrassment for me, there will be, have been 10 days of, Get in a pool. Get in a pool. What about your pool? Get in a pool. Get in a pool. No. 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 Oh, just for you to shut up for an hour. He's in the pool. Silence for an hour. Let's put grapes in your eyes. Put grapes in your eyes. I don't want to put grapes. Put grapes in your eyes. I don't want to hang you upside down on this thing. Put grapes in your eyes. No. Put grapes in your eyes. No. Put grapes in your eyes. Hang you upside down. No. Put grapes in your eyes. Hang you upside down. No. Put grapes. Oh, just put some grapes. Oh, he's got grapes in his eyes hanging upside down. An hour of quiet. That is why. What if I do that to Richard Dawkins when he comes in? Yeah, I reckon Richard will come in with grapes. I put the grapes in my eyes. I can't find my way up the stairs. How did Richard Dawkins die? He was blinded by grapes and fell down two flights of stairs. I'm joined again. Ben Bailey-Smith. Yes, I'm back. And Kerry Godleyman. Hello. Now, you may remember Ben from an earlier show, ex-rapper, well, I mean, rapper, present Mm -hmm. rapper. Yep, present rapper. Rapper turned comedian and stayed a bit rapper. Stayed a bit rapper. Actor, writer. Slash, 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 slash. You might might know him from um, Life on the Road movie Mm -hmm. he did with me and other things. And you may know Kerry from uh, Hannah in Derek. Yeah, well, this is something of a Derek reunion. I was, yes. I was a guest star on, on one episode. Exactly. Um, also, uh, Mascots by uh, yeah. Christopher Guest. And Were you in Mascots? Yeah. I've not seen that yet, but everybody keeps telling me to watch it. Watch it. Yeah. On Netflix. Yeah. Now available. In fact, Christopher Guest contacted me after the first episode of Derek and said, who's the actress that plays Hannah? And that yeah. turned um, into a lovely job. There you go. That's nice, isn't it? Yeah. I'm... Uh, Christopher Guest once. Yeah. I was with Ricky in, in LA and I was doing what I thought was going to be the biggest gig of my life, hosting an event for BAFTA. And um, I was just telling Ricky, like, I'm not actually getting paid for this. I didn't realise until very late on that it was like a charity thing. So I was having a bit of a moan and Chris Guest was standing there and he just reached into his pocket and he pulled out uh, $5, $5 and he put, it in my, he put it in my suit pocket just patted my chest. Enough said. Yeah, just gave me a little like How did you feel about brow. that? I was just, it was just, I was, you know, I was just gobsmacked. He's lovely. He's so he's sweet. Great. He's the lovely. He just wanders through doing his his own thing. Yeah. He's just, he's just great. He's remarkable. He's one of my heroes. Probably the biggest influence on my comedy. Uh, certainly my acting, that thing of doing stupid things naturalistically. Mm. Yeah. That's the, f- it's the first time I'd seen it done so brilliantly. Yeah. The spinal tap and all this stuff. It's diff- When doing that job, it was kind of interesting to have to com- remind yourself there aren't any rules. You can do... You keep looking to go, well, tell me what to do. And he's like, yeah. I'm not going to tell you what to do. No, you do what your instincts... That's true. And it's, <laughs> initially, it's terrifying. And then it's really liberating. Mm. And it's yeah. Really and it's probably uh, I did I did um, one movie with Christopher, which was for your consideration. Yeah, and I did an episode of Curb Enthusiasm, and they're both sort of ad lib, but Curb's got tram lines. Yes, for things that need to happen, it's more mm. it's much more procedural than I thought. It's you know he you know he needs to, to something to happen points. exactly. Yeah. Whereas Chris has got the plot of the movie, yeah. but within that he films for like seven minutes, does yeah. that three times, and he's got reams and reams of stuff. I say to him, how do you know where the movie is in all this? He said, there's only one movie in this. Yeah, there's only amazing. one movie, yeah. Um, so the approach is different, but um, it, it's... it's. Uh, I think but there's it, so much room for a sort of invention within that. Like you say, the, the movie's plotted. Yeah. But the character's kind of yours. Oh, he asks you about it. He asks, yeah. he, he asks you, where, where does this guy go to school? And yeah. you have to think about yeah. it, you and know. It's like, it, that's it, so rare as an actor to get that 
opportunity to invent on that scale. Yeah. And it's such a I lovely think, set. It's just yeah. such a lovely oh. set, isn't it? It's, a, it's like a reunion. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think playful. Derek was the closest I've got to that yeah. as an experience. Because, you know, I was like trying to prepare things for my character to say and Ricky was like, no, 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 just, just, just go for it. Yeah. And then he, he would edit me down. You'd edit me down and just say, okay, that there, just, yeah. just shorten that and bang. Yeah, because and it was just, that because was a again, I, I stole that. Like, that used used some of your character. You, mm. It was you, it was your sort of character. Mm. Even I don't even mean the character you did on Derek. I stole what I'd seen you do before. Yeah. Same with Kerry to a certain extent. I'd stolen her being as like a gobby, <laughs> cockney fishwife. I don't know. I don't who, know what you're talking about. Who headbutts people? And I thought, oh, I'll have that. I can use that. In fact, I, I was in my car. I was in my Rolls Royce, and I was going like, and I saw this woman in the street in a tabard. People. Headbutting <laughs> <laughs> people, gobbing, and all that swearing. I thought she oh. needs focus and help. It was like Eliza Doolittle. I said, it was that gutter snipe. You're such a contemporary Iggy. <laughs> can, she, can, can she act? <laughs> oi. I said, oi, fishwife. Can you? What's, what's the etymology of fishwife? My dad used to say that a lot. Where's it? I assume it, it I just seem, it means, uh, um, I assume. A fisherman, a fisherman was, was a poor person who caught a fish and sold it, and his wife, wife. I I don't know. I suppose it. What does it conjure up? Just being hard, tough and rural, yeah. maybe poor. I don't smelling know. a fish. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's what it conjures well, up. It could just be that. <laughs> the clue is very much in the title with that one, isn't it? <laughs> I think it's a, a wife. A, it's a not fish complimentary, is or it? Or a fisherman. <laughs> she just stinks a fish. That's funny. So, so yeah, that, the, 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 we're, we're discussing lots of subjects. Now, I want to start uh, with Ben because um, on our last podcast, we we did touch upon the fact that you were uh, a real rapper entering rap battles, which I, I can't I can't get my head around still mm. to this day. We didn't get to how it crossed over to comedy. We didn't. W- what happened then? Yeah, it was weird because I was. Um... In the sort of year before I first got on stage and tried stand up, I was um, touring with Mark Ronson as as his rapper, and um, you know it was an incredible experience and whatnot. But when it came to an end and he he's let me go, it was really difficult for me and my ego to go back to the world of like underground rap, you know, sort of tail between my legs. That that really got me down. So I was just like, and how um, old are you now? At this stage, well, this is two thousand and six. So 11 years ago, I would have been 30. Right. Yeah, for 29. And So uh, wife, but no children yet? No, you, I, had, I had one kid. You had one kid? Yeah, right, yeah. yeah. Right. And, uh, and um, you know, just, just... I just did, I said wife, because we've been talking about fishwife. <laughs> you don't need yeah. to be married yeah. to have a kid. No, 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 and also, why say wife? So wife, wife. so wife, no wife. kid. You had a fishwife. <laughs> Sorry, that, that's just in my head, the word. It's such a funny word, wife. It is a wife. funny word. Uh, wife. Yeah. It's so. I had a little wife. I, I find it funny that you still have to call your partner your girlfriend, though. Because you just seem too old to have a girlfriend. I know, I know, it's it's odd. But I don't like partners. Partners weird. And and, and I know why partner came about to be, you know, politically correct. I know, that's just, what's up with, you know, (laughs) I know, yeah, I know. Anyway, sorry. So so you were married with one young... Yeah, and now I was under pressure because now I wasn't earning. I was working at a little um, charity, like a a youth uh, charity, but only like a couple days a week. um, And there was little to no money in it. Uh, So it was real pressure. My my missus was, was carrying both of us really um she was teaching and i started looking for quote unquote normal jobs you know in my head i from when i was a little kid i thought i'm gonna be an entertainer i was just i was just so sure of it but i just never fully dedicated myself so this was the period where i just thought look you got a kid now stop 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 mucking about just just get a normal job and I'd... and is that a horrible sort of crushing depressing oh, feeling hugely hugely especially because you'd gone from the success of the mark ronson yeah thing. yeah so, and how long had you done that for it was like on and off for two years. Right. Never, never regular, like over that two years, yeah. just on and off when he'd need me, call me, you know. And, you know, in that band, you have people like Amy Winehouse and mm. Lily Allen. And, you know, it's a real, real megastar. So it was it was a kind of fall from grace for me. And, yeah, I, just, I was really, really down about it. Just waking up thinking, OK, you know, 
this is it. It's just it's 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 time to be normal. And I was applying for jobs. Actually, the the closest I got to feeling like maybe I could live this life was when I applied to be the spokesman for a, a charity called Kick It Out, it's like an anti-racism charity in football. And before that interview came about, I got a call from a guy who I knew from music who was now working at Radio One doing these late late night comedy shows, and he'd written a, a comedy a sitcom for Lenny Henry for radio. Um, and he asked me to come and look at the script. And I ended up getting taken on board as a consultant for literally just the language of, of the script. So all the sort of slang or the like the black language in it. Because, he was, because white, the, he was a white writer and he felt well, nervous I mean, about it. And that was, was that, so this is 10 years ago, so it wasn't, it wasn't that bad. But, you know, Lenny Henry always said he was like the only black person on TV in oh, England. Oh man, for... he was so hyped when he saw me because, you know, I'd worked on the first episode. They they asked me to work on the whole series and then I met him and he was immediately excited. He was like, you know what, there's no black writers, there's no black people behind the scenes, behind the camera, you know. And I was just thinking, dude, I'm not a, I'm not a writer. I'm like, right. I'm here sort of, you know, just skidding my teeth. I don't really know what I'm doing. And he really pushed me and he got me like little speaking roles. So the next thing I knew I was at Radio Theatre doing like walk-ons, just one line here, one line there, and getting laughs for the first time ever. And it was an exhilarating feeling. And it was the producer of that show who, when he found out my past and that I was a performer of sorts, he was the one that pushed me to try stand-up for the first time. I didn't want to do it, but he, he, he pushed me. And so that's a nice way in because you're already getting laughs and you didn't, you weren't looking for them and you didn't no. particularly care. No, no, not at all. I mean, that, that first gig, I prepared nothing i didn't really know how you go about it he was just like come down tell some stories and we'll see how it goes and it was like a just a, a industry audience it was just bbc people it was this thing it used to be called radio entertaining it was around it was uh, in uh, great portland street sort of center of london and um it would have people trying out scripts so they'd be literally on stage reading radio sitcoms to a bbc audience and seeing if the jokes landed and so how conscious were you then of um i'm a person of color performer how, how conscious were you that there's there's not many black or asian i really i didn't really think about it because i come from a world where if you were white you 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 stood out you know and you had more to prove so i just had that sort of kind of cocky self-confidence so i came on they had a comedian like hosting the thing you know and he would be like the compare and he'd be doing gags and whatnot and then i remember he came back and he was like keep it keep it tight dude do like a five or a seven max and i'm thinking no i don't even know what you're talking about hmm. you know and i just wandered on and i started telling my story of how I came to be working at, at BBC Radio 4. And I thought, you know, there's an incongruity there that's, that that might be funny. But no one really laughed. Everyone was, like, gripped. And it just sort and of... had you prepared that? Not in any more than you would so you hadn't think thought of you're, it going to meet, you're going to meet your mate and you've got something to tell them. Right, but there's you hadn't, like, worked out night. gags. Nothing like that. Wow. So it came to the end and I was like, yeah, thanks. And I, I walked off and there was, like sort of confused that confused applause but it was weird because i didn't have a sense that i died in any way no because people were watching me and i was seemed so assured that they were going oh this is wow. this is going somewhere this is definitely going somewhere and it went nowhere <laughs> oh that's interesting wow. and i came off and the, the the producer who put me on he was like yeah you know that would have been i mean if that was a talk it would have been fascinating but you got you got to write some jokes, man. You got to come back and write some jokes. So that was so all the stagecraft and confidence and blah blah. Just, just it was literally just body down. language. I think that's all I had. Yeah, it was yeah. my body language just said keep calm. I've I've got this, but I didn't have anything. Wow. So I came back a month later, and all of a sudden, I I felt that 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 pressure to be funny, and and I had a couple of sort of lines about working with Lenny Henry. I thought it might be funny and it was like a, a titter at max and again it petered out but this time I was like conscious of what this producer had told me so I was like shit I need to do something that raises a laugh so I just pulled out this old rap trick of like you know give me give me your names give me places give me objects and I'll do a, a freestyle about it because you know if it, if it rhymes it'll probably be it'll be funny and in rap terms that's like the most hack 
thing you can do. But to do it to this audience, it was like the second coming of Jesus. Do you know what I mean? Like they because they it's a because out. it's a magic act. Yeah, I, I think that they went you know, mad. I'm not I'm not a fan of improv comedy. It's more a relief if it rhymes and it gets a lot. I'm I'm relieved for them. Whereas yeah. this is different because this is outside comedy. So yeah. this is like looking at a different world. I mean, I I am in awe of people who can freestyle and mm. and it makes sense and rhyme and it be harsh or meaningful. Yeah. It's so. But that was my act. That was my act. Like I built off of there and. My my act when I started getting my first gigs like twenty twenty quid a pop and whatnot would literally be I'd I'd come on talk about being a rapper try and work some gags into it but I was always I never wrote anything down I was always flying by the seat of my pants but if you think and about stand up and I'd come back and do an improvised rap had you that seen much stand up prior to the no I'd seen so you had Peter no frame Kay, of reference I'd seen Peter Kay and my mum had um, Eddie Murphy and Richard Pryor on vinyl. Oh wow! My dad. So you was, didn't go to gigs. You never. Nah, nah. My dad was hugely into sitcoms, and I loved sitcoms right. and old-fashioned comedy. The Marx Brothers, Buster Keaton, Harold Lloyd, Laurel and Hardy, all that stuff I absolutely loved. But stand-up, I had no interest in. But do you think if you'd known that world more thoroughly, you'd have been more? I think I would have been lamer. About- I think I would have right. been lamer. I would have been more concerned about dying, but I think I would have been lamer because I see young comics and they're already sort of fully formed. They're uh-huh. not that funny, but they're they've got the rhythm and tone. Right, of so there's some usually, usually, usually of someone else. Usually, yes, of yeah, someone you, else. You st- totally. early, on, you know, you, you st- early on, you do, you, yeah. you have your influences, and you sort of go with them, and then you, then you exactly. find your own feet. So as I well. didn't really start dying. But it's so funny until because I, I started writing that. You know, it was almost like on a previous podcast we were talking uh, with Robin uh, Ince and Sean McLaughlin uh, um, about when they first started out you know a female stand up was almost treated like a novelty act by the clubs yeah. you could either have a juggler or a lady comic <laughs> yeah. and it was like have you experienced that as uh, no not too badly i mean i think i've had a pretty okay ride of it like what year did you start i started about 2004 yeah, so we'd already moved on a bit by then, I suppose. A little bit. And I think, I mean, there is such a thing as positive discrimination. I think if you, um, early on, I'd go as far as to say I got gigs because I was a woman because promoters right. did want to have women on the bill. Right. They wanted to be seen to be, yeah. you know, recruiting more women. Well, I sort of felt that a little bit, not at the same extent of you two, I suppose. But when I first started out um, in comedy, my thing was pretending to be a lot more working class right. Right. Yeah. than because everyone was like Oxbridge and Cambridge. Yeah. Everything was posh and doing that sort of thing. And I thought I'll come out and I'll do that. And I'll, and I'll play a bloke. I'll yeah. play a, a, a geezer. I'll play, a, you know, that on 11 o'clock show. I, I was the pub bore, yeah. you know, a right wing pub bore, yeah. a geezer, for, you know. and uh, But you get a sense of what's not in what's not happening in that scene and you oh, go I well d- I'll be what's I not tried to stand up when I took over when I took over the 11 o'clock show which was like you know uh, I suppose posh uh, grammar school boys and that taking over the asylum and doing what they wanted yeah. on channel 4 and uh, I was a little bit older than the rest of them um, a little bit more working class and played on it a little and played that thing and I remember everyone was saying horrendous things mm. and I thought how am I going to how am I going to stand out so I remember telling the presenters um, Daisy and Ian um, I'm going to come on and do this and it was no harsher than anything else had been on that show, right? And I said, pretend to be shocked. <laughs> and it made me look like I was the, oh, the most shocking, cutting-edge comedian on the planet. For You know what I mean? Yeah. And I was... Uh, and I, but and you had an instinct for that and the need for it, or that that, that wasn't happening. And well, I was, was very conscious that, you know, this, is a, this was my first thing on TV, late-night TV, that I had to... If I wanted to do anything else, I had to sort of stand out, not, not, not necessarily be the best even, but have a thing that some... You know, a niche thing that some mm. people would... I'd be some people's favourite, right? Because also, when I, when I first started out, I was on radio, I'd done a normal job, very similar... Uh, to Ben, like at 28, I'd, I'd forgotten the dream of being a rock star. It wasn't going to happen now. Mm. And I had to get a normal job. And my normal job was an office, right. which mm. turned out to be very lucrative. Um, <laughs> and I worked there for like 10 years. And then when after that, you know, when I went to radio and I popped up on air, I got the, I got a call to do the interview for this show. And obviously Ali G was like the biggest thing in the country that mm. year. Yeah. I missed the first series. And some people even said, oh, you don't want to take over from Ali G. You can't take over from Ali G. Mm. Imagine if I said, oh, yeah, you're right. I, 
Wow. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's stifling. Don't try and take over from Ali G. Mm. I'm not trying to take over from Ali G. I'm going to do something completely different. Yeah. Mm. And so that was my thing, really, to sort of... Um, and I think that's sort of stuck ever since, that uh, I'm, I'm labelled as sort of like saying the unsayable, which just mm. isn't true. You know what I mean? It just isn't true. Well, no, true. like you say, not relative to other people that also yeah. say the and unsayable. Yeah, and also, I had a conscience. I was saying, no, I can't say that. So I, I, it was pretend, you know, it was irony. So uh, Yeah. But I, was, I, I was a novelty act, no question about it. I, I only got booked for cabarets. Really? Yeah, so like, um, you know, Soho Review Bar, I'd be on in between like strippers or um, burlesque or like hula girls, magicians. You see, I'd go as far as to say the other way. Like, I think, because... I didn't make a conscious decision to be a niche act by being a woman. I just was a woman. Well, no, yeah, of course so not, it was yeah. like I could but I think my every woman sort of style, my you make down the pub style was what served me because people were like, Oh, it's I think the cliche goes if a woman comes on she's gonna start being a bit whack or start talking about things that people talking don't want to hear. Talking about yeah. periods. Yeah, that, because stuff the thing like is that. the truth is some did. The ones what? that first wrote, they did, they right. did sort of. Well, I was very aware of that when I started, so I yeah. didn't. And I would talk about what I would think as everyday mm-hmm. topics. So by being quite everyday and not being niche, I think it served me quite well because you're subverting an expectation. But it's sort of unfair, isn't it, to, 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 to not impose that cliche, true or not, that some did talk about women's issues, but why shouldn't they? No, yeah. absolutely, it's, it's and really now there's weird. more room. It's, it was blokes going, it was old-fashioned comedians going, oh, you don't talk about periods. Yeah. Well, why not? It's, it's, no. Why not? Why but there's a time exactly for different conversations, and I think yeah. that's certainly true now, and I think that women comics are allowed to talk about what they like. But in 2004, I was aware that that wasn't going to fly. Mm. So you kind of... you have to pick your time to have certain i didn't mention race for at least the first three years of stand-up right I, I, first of all i didn't feel like i was smart enough to to reference it in in the way that i wanted to and and really get into it and secondly there was definitely from the start there was that pressure oh obviously he's going to talk about right so well, i yeah. just i just didn't yeah yeah you know i mean and, yeah I but think it that... does make me laugh exactly what you're saying like that thing of like oh god it's not all about race it's not all about being a woman but yet white male comedians they don't. They just don't realise it because they are the majority. When I watch them, I'm thinking this is the most white male twenty minutes ever. Of like yeah. all you're talking about is being white and male. <laughs> of course, but because yeah. you are the majority, yeah. it's yeah. like oh no, this is universal. Yeah, comedy. Yeah, no, yeah. You, should, you should stop being so niche. You keep doing that five minutes on being black. I'm I like, think that's just five minutes. Yours is the full twenty on yeah. being white and male. Yeah, <laughs> I think I've I've grown up with that sort of um, that guilt, the white guilt. I think that's why I talk about taboo subjects mm. I do talk about race and mm. misogyny more than any other because I, I think people are uncomfortable with it they don't yeah. they don't want it turned upon them either way mm. you know and I think that um, it, again it's it's sort of different in America to the UK mm. being black a woman gay it's it's it is different in America. Same with class they, as well, isn't it? Yo, all they're, Americans they're, own comedians own their shit way more than we do. Though, I think in general, they're like they're, they're way more proud of it. And like the, the last time I performed on a bill with a bunch of Americans in America, I was amazed by the white comedians. They'll do their black mammy voice, they'll do their their black street voice or their Chinese voice. They just don't care. They're, they're totally fine with it. Everybody's okay with it. Yeah, I've noticed that, that everyone's okay. With, I, I've been in audiences where the comedian has picked on a, a person of a certain race mm. and done their cliche for yeah, them, yeah, and, yeah. and they've lapped it up. Yeah, yeah, lapped they're, it up. They're clapping. Mm. They, they're like, yeah, he... He's he, acknowledged me. Yeah, exactly, yeah, I'm, in, I'm included, which is... It, that that wouldn't fly here. No. Nah. That would be a complaint to the promoter immediately. Uh, no question. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's just, uh, no it's question. totally different. But it is class is different in America. Yeah. It's based on different things as well. It is based on, you know, success and money much more than bloodline. But, but I wouldn't I wouldn't know specifically who was working class out of the American comics I know. I, I, no, I because, again, again, it's, it's very different. It's nothing to do with... There's you, no middle class equivalent. I mean, I, I suspect that a lot of them, like the ones I know, are probably working class. But I wouldn't know the equivalent of our Oxbridge... Well, there's, yeah. well, that's you know Ivy I mean? League. That's Ivy League, I guess. So I can't think of anyone. But off they the top haven't of my got head. the aristocracy. They right. haven't got that that sort of strange official people knowing their place. You know, that, that's what we have here. We have people knowing their place. It, 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 you know, I put this in a, a movie I did at some Junction that my mum said to me when I was going uh, abroad for the first time. I was going to France, which is about thirty miles away, <laughs> right? And I got a little temporary passport. My mum said, "What do you want to go to France for? There's parts of Reading you ain't seen." Mm. And you leave a Rolls Royce out on the street in England and someone will scratch it. Yeah. 
You leave it in America and people are sort of take pictures of it yeah. and applaud. They go, well done. Wow. Yeah, yeah. They, they celebrate I success. I always used to say, you know, the, the, <coughs> the big difference between us, us and them in terms of making it an entertainment is in America, you know, they see they see someone make it whatever it is and they go oh my god is that guy he's from he's from my street yeah incredible whereas yeah. over here it's like it's that guy he's from my street he's fucking nobody he's nobody. i know yeah he's from my yeah. street yeah i know he's, he's go and get your shoe shine box yeah, yeah. it's that sort of that's that, that thing phrase, that, yeah. you think you're it is a put down here yeah and it's a compliment yeah there. yeah yeah, yeah, it's a weird thing, isn't it? I, what, what is that? What is that about? I, I think it, it, again, it comes from Brits thinking they know their place. Right. You know, in so America, you're brought up to believe you can be the president of the United States, mm. right? Here, you're told it won't happen to you, so don't try. <laughs> and and I felt, I felt it all my life, and I don't know why I was Teflon to it. I always thought, no, I'm as good as anyone else. Mm. I don't know why. I just thought, no, I can, I can go to yeah. university. I can do this. I can be. I can do what I want. I can be a scientist for a while. And I don't know what that was. I think it was because I know. I, I know I wasn't rich. I didn't know I wasn't. I know. I didn't know I was poor till about fourteen or fifteen. Mm. When you become aware of those things, because mm. everyone was in the same boat. And I didn't know I was working class. Till I got to university, and everyone spoke like the Queen. Yeah. So I didn't notice that. And I played on that as well. Sure. I played on being working class, certainly. Right. But I think it was because I couldn't have anything. I couldn't have a new bike and the latest trainers. You know, I'd, I'd go to school in knitted jumpers. My mum made, and that was cool. But I knew from an early age that I could have any book. Right. And I think. I think that's I lived in our books and watching BBC Two and Science and Nature programmes and travel. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I thought, well, I, I, I'll do that. And about, and, but the what, other trick that seems with me, with you is that you're not chippy about it because a lot of people can be, I can do this, I can do that, and they can get a bit, it can be a bit of a chippiness. Well, I didn't whereas, tell anyone. I, did, I wasn't sitting at home saying, I'm going to university. I just knew I would Just at quietly 18, got on with it without I knew, it being a... Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, it was just. It was just always, I just... I can't even think, remember thinking about it. I just, it was just always there. Yeah. It was like, that's what I do. Mm. And I know other people didn't, but I, that's what I, that's what I would do. I just realised, go and get your shoe shine box. That was a quote from Frank Goodfellas. He, he died recently. No, but it sounds racist. I was worried. I was so conscious. Oh, that sounds racist. Because I'm saying I it's don't ben. know the quote. I don't yeah. know it. No, I was thinking, you're going to box. That it's, sounds racist. It's Frank Vincent and Joe Pesci in a scene in, in Goodfellas. Frank Vincent plays a gangster who's just come home from from prison. He bumps into Joe Pesci's character in a bar, and they've not seen each other since um, Joe Pesci's character was a kid, and right. he used to shine shoes uh, on the street. Uh, and Frank Vincent's character keeps ribbing him about it. He's going, I don't shine shoes anymore, right? And he goes, Pesci's okay. like, yeah, just le leave that alone. Go and get you know, your fucking uh, shoes shine Just box. celebrate. And he, and he oh, have right. to kill him, yeah. So that's a phrase. But as I said it, I thought, Everyone knows that phrase, don't they? Yeah. That's this like white guilt. Yeah, yeah. White guilt. It. It, 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 it's the worst <laughs> thing to be me. called. It's the what's the worst thing to be called? Racist. Yeah, it's the yeah. paedophile. No mm. racist. <laughs> <laughs> oh God. I'm here with Ron Bennington and, and Jerry Seinfeld. I'm very Seinfeld. uncomfortable with the way you two talk to each other. I know. We all, we're always arguing. No, no, it's perfect. Okay. Um, so, uh, what's my stand-up life? It's very different to yours. I'll tell okay, you that but much. Before, I mean, Go on. I'm sorry, but I just want to give you credit. Go on. I do think, unless you can tell me otherwise, I think you're the first. I did it a little. I did it in Comedian, the documentary in 2002. I had some Loved conversations it. between comedians. Thank you. The but only, the you only DVD me... I watched all the, the extras on. It's oh, the only DVD you. I ever watched. And I ran <laughs> out and you. I wish there was more. It thank was incredible. It was incredible. It's so nice. But when you called me and Chris Rock and Louis C.K. in 2000. 10, I'm going to say, 11? Yeah. And said, hey, why don't we all get together and just talk about comedy as an HBO special? And I thought, brilliant. And we got together. And I feel like that that was the can opener to a lot of all this com comedians and comedians together that people do seem to enjoy. I think so. And I think it's I think, the, it was you, I think it's all you. Oh, I don't know about that. I mean, I, I remember I did the podcast because it was convenient. You know, I, I had a radio show and I had to keep stopping it to go off and do a TV show or a movie. And I just thought, you know, this new thing had come in called podcasting. And I, and I thought, well, then I can do that when I want. I can stack them up and we, and people can listen to it when they want more than once. And, um, uh, and you know, I think, I think I invented binging. Um, but yeah. And now podcasts are getting bigger and bigger because people just want to, they want some in their ear when they're driving or ironing or falling asleep. Really? And it's, it's, do you ever listen to a podcast? I do, I do, and I really? I, I, I listen I've to. Never a, heard one. This is the first one I've ever been on. I listen to about one or two, 
you've heard one or two in your life. No, no, I mean uh, there's two series. That you listen to. Yeah, I I, I listen to a, a comedian's comedian podcast, um, uh, and uh, that's a good title. Um, yeah, and it, again, oh, okay. it's it's more in depth. It's about the he, he t- talks about how they work. It's very dry. It's not a funny show no, at all. That sounds very. It's not a funny that show. Must be a Brit show. It is a Brit show. Yeah, yeah. and uh, and he and he really goes into the minutiae of it. And I who, I like who is that. It? Um, oh, I've forgotten his name. Plug. What's his name? Oh my god! You'll think of it. You'll think of it. I will. I will think you of will. it. Yeah. You'll think of it. Um, and he's a cir- he's a circuit comic, and he and he talks to all different comics. And uh, that um, that was what. My uh, Comedians in Cars Getting Coffee was, I thought it was going to be. I thought I re- it would really be an inside baseball show. Yeah. Uh, but then it became just a comedy show. Well, I think it's the pressure of being funny. Um, I think, but it, even this show, there's, I don't, there's no pressure of being funny. We're talking about comedy or, or real life. Because I think real life is funnier. I think it's funnier than mm-hmm. talking about, mm-hmm. you know, the worst stage thing. Oh, I want to know about your teacher and your nan and, your, right. and your dad. I, I thought when your... you did Alec Baldwin's show and it started with you complaining about how freezing it was. It's ridiculous. And he was yelling back at you. I thought... Well, this is entertaining. Yeah. And then three days later, he punched somebody. So I don't know whether okay. you're responsible <laughs> I wound for him that. Up. But... I wound him up. Yeah. So, okay, right. I'll quickly go through. I, 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 I want to hear about your stand-up I, it's, life. It's, uh, it's very different to yours, and it's changed, right? Uh, so my first sort of four specials, I wrote them like an Edinburgh show. I wanted, to, I wanted to be a piece. I wanted right. to be a definitive work. I went out there and practiced them and put them on DVD when DVD was the big thing. Right. My next two... Um, uh, I'd, I'd honed that a little bit and HBO was the place to be. And I did the, d- again, I taught right. a bit more and put HBO. But then humanity was different. I, I knew it was going to Netflix, but I treated it differently. I walked out on stage and um, I got hooked to that. I let the audience find the funny. Because mm-hmm. um, originally I, 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 I read, um, uh, between my first and second tour, I read Sign Language. Um, really, a little book uh, by the pool on holiday. Yeah, and I thought it's it, the fact that it works written down was quite incredible because the one liners work written down, and I don't like them as much. When I see a, a comic do a hundred puns, I think these are as good written down as you telling them, mate. Right, well, I don't need you here. Right, and I want to see a bit of the 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 comic. Right, right? and um. Uh, which you had as well, and I like people to shuffle out and tell me they've had a bad day. Right. I want it to only be theirs. I don't. I don't use other writers. I don't. I, I want it to be your experience right, and, right. and real. Um, but I want it to be quite honed, like yours. I wanted to cross you and Billy Connolly when I started. When you started, I wanted your slickness and your writing, and your taking it to the logical conclusion, right. and Billy Collie shambling, shambling out, and you know that's what I wanted. That's, to, that's a good that, recipe. That was yeah, my that recipe. was my formula. Right. Have you met him? Have you yeah? He's great. He's great. He's great. He's not well now. Um, oh, uh, sorry. Yeah, um, but uh, he's still as sharp up there. But um, he's, he's, uh. he's got Parkinson's, and um, oh, yeah, and he's... he's it's, it's still there, though. It's still there. You know, right. he's, he's, he's great. I mean, he's, he's like a god in Britain. And, and yeah. as good as anybody who's done it, don't you think? Bill and he just, he just, he just talked. Brilliant. He yeah. just talked and found the funny. And so I went more that way with humanity. I wandered out with a few contentious things to chat about and found the funny and, and let them. And I was much freer with the audience. I did a lot more warm-ups. Right. You know, um, What's uh, a warm-up? Uh, where I just hire a little theatre, sell 200 tickets and say... Right, it's 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 ten bucks. Um, is the things I got to talk about? Oh, it's a workshop. It's a workshop, yeah. Right, and um, and uh, f- f- and I, I was hooked by it. And humanity was my favourite one so far because it worked. And then it I had to do a bit of writing. Oh, thank you. Yeah, oh, cheers, man. Yeah. And this one, um, Supernature, which I'm working on now, I've already played to ten thousand people on warm ups because I'm hooked to the warm up. I'm hooked. This term warm up. Um, uh, working progress. Oh, I'm I see. absolutely hooked on the work in progress. See, to us, a warm up is like an opening act, right? Oh, I see. Yeah, we, yeah, we, yeah, we, we, yeah. I mean, that's the. the what do you say for um, pavement? <laughs> well, yes, <laughs> street. Yeah. See, the thing is, I think American comics just go out to do it to do it, and then eventually, some people go, "Oh, I could capture this in a special," but right. I don't know if it, that's the that's ever been the cause. You know, but like, now oh, it's, it, but it's but it, I think it's back to the holy grail because of that. Because yeah. live is bigger than it's ever been. And it's the one thing that's not touched by anything. As films are dying, as Hollywood's dying, as TV's dying, you can't you can't you can't bootleg a ticket 
and get into not you know what I mean yeah if you if you're going to be there you're going to be there so that's flying that's the new it's back to being the holy grail again well, no, yeah. and I, I get what you always said to yeah. like me and Chris Rock why do you want to do a movie you're a stand up right and I get it now right I get it now no I do yeah. yes I it's it. an incredible connection it, to the world but it's a privilege a privilege 10,000 people have come out to see what you better have something to say yeah. and so now I want their I almost want their blessing and before it wasn't because I looked down on them and I, I played that card like you, you know um, it was that I was scared they wouldn't they wouldn't like me so I tried really hard on the writing and they just want to see you on stage and if you if you're if you're working it and it works in front of 200 people 10 times, it's going to work in front of 10,000 people. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And once it works, it never doesn't work. That's right. It never doesn't work. Right. right. In well, fact, I, I, get about bored. I get bored then. Right. And yeah. I want to start Slowly. a new one. So this is where we differ still. Yeah. This is the big difference between you and most comedians. You once described yourself as um, like General Motors. You, you, you sack the, the bottom 10% every year. Yes. But you don't. I can't wait to get ready for humani- uh, for Supernature. Yeah. Tour all the places I want to play in the right. world, in the theatres I want to play in the world, put it on Netflix and then start again. Right. That I, I, that, yes, that, this is the way most popular, successful comedians work today. This yeah. is the way. But you, you have, you're like Bob Hope, aren't you? You've got your act and you play... I don't think I love that analogy. No, but, but what I mean is, what I mean is, they go to see Bob Hope. They don't care what show it is because they're seeing Bob Hope. Whereas I've got to live and die by the show. My shows are all different. And if I did a, if I did a bit from my old show, boo, boo, we fucking heard it. It's, it's, I talk about this on... Uh, yeah, it's very interesting. They don't do that, I don't do that with Bruce Springsteen. Screen door slams. Boo, we've heard it. Right. You know, he can just keep doing that right. song. But I've got to come up with a different joke. But I would, if I was going to go see Ricky Gervais perform, which I never have, by the way. You Actually, did. Actually, yes, I did. We, I saw, I, not the one before Humanity. You saw... Um, the HBO with the Noah. The HBO with Noah, yeah. Yeah, I saw that one yes. live. Yeah. Okay, so what I want to see when I go see a stand-up comic is... Give me the best you have. Yes. Now, there are jokes in each one of your specials that I've never seen because I haven't seen every special. Right. And guess what? Most of the world has not seen every Ricky Gervais special. I know. But a lot of people are being taken to see you. But you should do whatever you want. But now with YouTube and Netflix and Twitter, most people... Because there's a... Because there's a trillion other things for them to listen to, including the show we're doing right now. So the level of exposure, no one's ever going to go, we heard it. Because they want to, I, I don't know, I, 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 there's no answer to this, but I could discuss it all day. Well, no, it's, it's, it's true. It fascinates Again, me. I sort of agree. Because I, get- I don't want to see your new hour. Because it's not as good as the best of the best of what you've ever done. And going against my argument a little bit, that's sort of true. Because people say to me, oh, I just saw Humanity tonight for the 12th time. Really? Yeah. So, but they know, they know they're watching the same thing. Right. I'm worried about the person who turns up, right? Say I saw him last year and then they get the same thing. And they, and they don't want to see the same thing they saw last but year. That right. is a, when I was a kid, I would listen to a Carlin album over and over or yeah. prior album but that's when George Blessing, Carlin you know, was alive if, yeah. uh, uh, may he rest in peace if he was alive today and he announced at the age of uh, 73 I'm going to do a tour of the best material I've ever done I'm going to collate everything of all my 12 HBO specials really how big is that tour yeah how big is that tour I was thinking of doing that but I was still I couldn't get away with it without doing it tongue-in-cheek I was going to call it, you know, Ricky Gervais' greatest hits or something. It depends or- on how someone approaches the material, too. Like you were talking about taking something to its logical conclusion and really, really exploring. You used yeah. the word exploring I earlier. I like the remixes on my old stuff. Uh, uh, this is what mm. fascinates me. How yeah. long can you take this discussion of raisins how far can you justify that subject that's funny that's funny yours was raisins yeah raisins mine was this guy has eight minutes on raisins that's what i i want to see that guy and i want to go back and see that bit again i used to do a bit about chairs right just chairs why uh how much of our life is chairs and how we walk into a room and go can i sit there 
That's you know, great. Just, so my life is about chairs now. Yeah. I choose a restaurant on the chairs now. Yeah, it's got to be empty <laughs> with a nice chair. It's got to be. Yeah. Uh, do you know what I mean? You don't That's want anybody in the restaurant. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think anything. I, honestly, my opinion is What's anything a, a comedian wants to do when he walks out on that stage is uh, fine with me. What's your What's your view on stools versus the chair? I'm not a fan. I like I, a stool no. that has a proper no, no, no. foot perch, and I'm not. And I'm going to be right. there 12 minutes why or do we less. Need a stool? Why is the why why is the why is there a stool? If I'm talking it's to two people, no, it's basically said let's do a chair, but without the comfy back bit. <laughs> it's making a chair right. worse. We yeah. never need a stool. We but never need a stool. What do you think was in, invented first? Do you think that well, somebody? St- it was a rock, said? wasn't it? It was a rock. Yeah. Okay. And then a caveman said, "Put it against the wall." Right. And they go, "We've got to sit against the wall now." And they go, "No, I've made one with a bit of wall on the rock, so we can move. We can move this anywhere." And they go, "You, you just invented a chair." That's yeah. How exciting was that moment? That guy was. So on. I'm going to start to eat. This you can eat that right? rice cracker, yeah, but, but the, if you don't think it's funny, I'll stop. But do you ever no. do you ever think do you ever think, I've heard people say it was easier to invent things years ago because there was nothing, right? Well, I would have probably I'd have probably done yeah. it. I'd have probably come across like you know penicillin if I'd have left bread yeah. out. <laughs> how, how amazing is though that there's things like that have been around for thousands of years that you still can't even understand, like basic plumbing that they had. Oh, in incredible! Rough, you would never be able to do oh, it. Oh, in- incredible! It's incredible. I can't believe you're actually in a rice cake. Look at those perfect teeth. Mm. Look at those. Per- it's like a cartoon <laughs> rabbit. It's, it's like it's like it's like when Disney says, "Oh yeah, we uh, we uh, based the rabbit this year on Jerry Seinfeld because he was like, you know, it's like when they, when Minnie Mouse was Madonna." I'm it's an like American. <laughs> yes. You idiot. I'm an American. Yeah. We we like nice teeth. I'm here with Robin Ince and Kerry Godleyman, and we're talking about the, I suppose, the psychology of why you went into stand-up. But I, I didn't, I didn't know that traumatic story of the, I mean, your mum in a coma at three, a car accident, and but do you think, so, obviously it affected you, but would you say, because I, I, I've observed you, and I, I think, I think you're sometimes really, without me knowing. <laughs> <laughs> I literally just hear CCTV. this kind of Ollie on the window. Yeah, he's like, yeah. there's cameras all around your house and Ricky's Colin, at home watching you. Colin, yeah. I, I say to my wife, I say, that new wardrobe, I don't know, I thought you ordered it, it's just been delivered. It's got, is that a handle or a lens? You're right, it's a bloody lens. Yeah. It's Ricky sent another Ricky's of his wardrobes. I did, I did once, um, uh, when Robin wasn't making as much money as he does now with going off with Brian Cox and selling out arenas, um, I, I offered him uh, to stay in my wardrobe for 24 hours, right? And it got up to 1,500 quid, and he still what? said no. no. Dignity. That's yeah. why I like him. He's got dignity. That's why you respect him, really. Isn't I it? do. Yeah. I do, yeah. I do. No, I do, yeah. No, but, um, but I, do, I do think uh, it, it's, not a, it's not a problem or a syndrome or anything, but um, you, you have got this scatterbrain. You do... You do, like, I've joked that Robin does a gig, and when he's at a gig, he gets offered another gig, and on the way to that gig, he does a gig, because he's on a bus, and there's a few people. He, you do need to download your thoughts. You do need I, to... How did I you do that before better. stand-up, then? What did well, you I've do with almost, that? always done stand You know, I've done oh, right. stand-up since I was, like, 22 years old, oh, okay. and so I think that most, you know... Well, that at that point, your brain is... It's literally, that's the point where the brain stops. It's kind of, uh, you know, it's actual growth, physical development. But it wasn't even. David, but your so stand-up. Right uh, but it's not like I. Don't, I don't think you're the classic, um, and I'm not it at all. Like that uh, you need you need love from strangers, or you want to please the audience. Please the audience, because um, I've I've been witness where someone you don't know audience, they're an awful crowd, and you've said, right, just for that, I'm going to stay on an extra half hour, <laughs> and you have to annoy them. So you're not this man who wants to please strangers. So what 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 do you? Uh, is, it, is it a cause or you have to do it? It wasn't for money because you... you, you went... made a thing for the first 15 years. <laughs> no, you didn't know. No, no, but no, but, 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 but people don't. So it, I know it wasn't the money, but it was. It, it's almost an obsession because you, you, do, you go to Edinburgh and you do five shows. And then he does shows to promote the shows. And then he does a blog on the way back on the train at two o'clock. Where have you got the energy? To... Well, I don't I've, know. I've, I've kind of stopped a lot of that. I, I have money. When I took a bit of time off from stand-up, I did slow down and I think it's interesting I don't know how you feel when when you know when you started in stand up is the first few years it was just stand up it was just some words it was jokes and it was what might work and what might yeah. 
And then there was a point, and it was only about 12 years ago, maybe 13 years ago, where I really started going, oh, I think this is what I kind of want to talk about. And I find that you then, then suddenly you go, it's a quote I've mentioned many times before, but I love what George Carlin said about stand-up is a low art, but it's a very potent art. Yeah. So you can talk about things. Yeah, where I agree. There was, there was a, an incident that happened in when I was out in Adelaide. Uh, I, was, I was doing a solo tour, and I would get... There would be someone like one of the promoters would come and pick you up, and you'd, you'd end up meeting someone you yeah. didn't really know and have chats with them. And this woman that I met, uh, I was chatting to her one night, and and she was just sitting in a bar, and she says, "Oh, by the way, um, I think comedians should do more material about suicide." Right? And I knew there would be something connected to this, and she explained that her daughter had killed herself, and she wanted, uh, she thinks that if more people go out there. Mm. And just it, so it becomes something. I agree. Which is, I, I totally agree. And, yeah, and, no harm can come from discussing taboo subjects, even making jokes, because I think it's inclusive. And I think to rule out something, and this is what my whole humanity show was about, that um, it's not about the subject. It's a, it's about the target, you know, of the joke. And uh, just joking about something is better than not joking about something, because it starts a discussion. It can be a mean joke, and people can go, "That's a mean joke," and you have to say why, and then the discussion starts and you know uh, I can remember when I was more of a punt well before I did stand up and enjoyed stand up as a punter a lot and the relief sometimes when a topic would come up that you know is a taboo yeah. and it was destigmatized by a room full of people uh, laughing uh, about it absolutely. and just being so happy that that person had said a thing that I'd thought privately hadn't been able to articulate and someone just lances it by talking I, about it on stage, and you go, I, I, oh, but, thank God. But that's proved you know. over and over again as well. You think, oh, this is the wrong place to do it. Like, I, I do the same show everywhere. Mm. And um, I had some IRA stuff that was a, a, a little bit frightening when I went to Belfast and Dublin. Went down the best. Because I, I acknowledged it. I acknowledged how mm. I was scared to do it. They were, they were, I did the stuff about Hitler in Berlin. Brought the, the roof up. I said, come on, let's talk about Hitler. In fact, and you over-encouraged him. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but, you know, it's this, this myth that, you know, the, it, you're in the midst of the people who care about yeah, this yeah. subject. That Because it's the individual. that's like as, as a whole, most people, they haven't got a problem with anything. Well, you can know, I... It, right, I'm going to... Uh, this is... Because I think this is very interesting. And it's something which I think we probably don't quite agree on. Because I think that there's an important side as well with the joke. This is just me. It's different. But that... I wouldn't want the person who might be the subject of that joke, the group who's the subject of that joke, to leave the venue feeling that they are the victim. And I'll give you an example. I don't know if we've talked about this before. I want to bring this guy up. And I, I know I've mentioned him on the podcast before, a guy called Barry Crimmins, who I've, I've talked to you about before. And Barry is, who's very sadly uh, died at the end of, uh, of, of February this year. Um, and Barry, one of the things that really drove him was against bullying. Now, yeah. there's a reason for this. If anyone has seen the film Call Me Lucky, you will know that there was something very terrible that happened in, in his childhood when he was four years old. And uh, he told me a story which I just personally... And I don't know how you feel about this. So I'm going to just throw it... Um, he talked about doing a gig once where it's like a club gig and he was headlining. And uh, at the, the, the there were a couple in the front row who were just really into it. They were really having a great time watching him. Yeah. And he got chatting to them afterwards. And uh, and they said, oh, we, yeah, we had a great time, you set, and uh, really enjoyed it. And they said, we only come out once a year. And he went, oh, you only come out once a year? He said, yeah, yeah. Uh, we have a, a child that's severely disabled. And uh, so there's only one person we know who can really know how to, to, to look after him properly. So we come out once a year and uh, and we decided comedy this year. And the first two acts, they kept saying, retard this and retard that. And we just couldn't relax. And we just, and then you came out and very quickly, we just, we knew that this, you were going, you know, he, he would talk a lot. He took a lot of risks in terms of what he would say about politics and yeah. the people. He was always punching up though, not punching down. And he said, you know, as he left that gig, it reminded him of the shrapnel of words. And I think that's a very important thing to, yeah. for me personally, which is, I know it might only be two or three people in the audience and I know I've made mistakes and I will make mistakes again and I know there will be times where I'm uncomfortable defending yeah. a joke at a bar but well, I thought that what his well, thing that's was it, but, but it punch up don't but it, punch but yeah. there's so many things there it's so many things context um, intent um, just because you're offended doesn't mean you're right doesn't mean you're wrong but it doesn't mean you're right and I think that um, uh, if, if you stick to the rule that, the, that it's not the subject it's the target I think you can go wrong you can disagree on whether that target's valid or not but I think that's the important thing and 
And I do think that free speech, you know, that offence is the collateral damage of free speech. Um, but that's, that, that doesn't mean you try to offend or you go for the most painful thing or you pick an individual tragedy. It doesn't mean any of that. Um, and sometimes people are offended and they don't have the right to be offended. Well, they have the right to be offended, but the comedian didn't pick on them. If you think about a subject, all it did was remind them of a bad subject. You can do a you can do a joke about something and someone can go, I don't like that because it reminds me of a thing that happened to me. And that's fair enough. But that's not... If, if, the, if the comedian said, hands up everyone whose mum's been in a coma and you put your hand up and they go, ha ha, you go, why are you fucking picking mm. on me? But if you're doing jokes about someone in a coma, you can't go, he's talking about my fucking mum here. He's talking about my fucking mum well, here. no, I'll tell you... But do you know what I'm saying? Do you see what, no, I do what understand I'm what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. I, I understand, but I think there's another side to it, which again, it's not, I'm not saying people shouldn't make these jokes, but one of the things with free speech is if we just go, there's free speech, that's it. And we don't go, well, with free speech comes, you know, to somewhere between Voltaire and Spider-Man comes great responsibility, yeah, right? right? And I think there's a thing where sometimes I watch comics and I think, why are some people who are sometimes celebrate for being edgy comics and stuff like that, why are the victims of the jokes so often the people who are most likely to also be a victim in real life? People who the joke starts for them sometimes the moment they leave their front door. So sometimes there are groups of people where you think, it's not easy already. And, and and I think it's a difficult thing because we've talked about this before. Yeah, where... it, I, I say it depends on the structure uh, and the setup and the reason for the joke because you can include those people. Uh, that's, that's, that's the whole point that um, you can include those people in the joke and them not be the butt of the joke. And when they are, that that's a different thing, right? But. Um, it's sort of taken care of in free speech. There isn't free speech that just goes and you can say anything. There are loads of caveats for free speech. Um, food additives, um, incitement to violence, um, libel. There are There is a ton already, but it hurts my feelings because it reminds me of shit. That's not included in free speech. The other thing is, you have the right to say awful things that offend people, and everyone has the right to fucking hate you for it. So again, it's sort of taken care of. Basically, what you're saying is, it's sad that some people are more vulnerable and feel sad and at the bottom of the pile when people have got everything still include them in the joke or take the piss over. I agree, but it, it, you have to. It, it has to be the individual joke. You can't. You can't talk about offence. In the nebulous and the broad, it has to be... it. Every word in a joke counts. It's a cryptic clue, right? And I I agree, there are loads of jokes that I've heard. I go, oh, I don't... I, oh, that's it. I'm, I, I feel uncomfortable. I feel offended for the people. I know why that is a bad thing. I don't do actual racist jokes, but I do loads of jokes about race. And that's that's my point. It depends on the individual joke. And to pick yeah. on someone individually and make them feel bad about their lot, uh, going after some of the things they can't help, you know, that's what, you know, prejudice is. It, I'd say it just depends. So um, it is a difficult one, and I think people are going to be offended. And I, and I am a big fan. Um, of course, there's, there's compassion and care and... and and all those things in in real life and, I think, in a comedy club. You know, I've often said I'm not one of these comedians who thinks comedy is my conscience taking a day off. It never takes a day off. I have to be able to know that I can defend that joke mm. or that routine in 10 years' time even. Um, uh, but I like Hitchens that said, if people who want to be offended will be offended and there's nothing you can do to please those fanatics and it's degrading to try this has been the best of ricky gervais's deadly serious <laughs> get every episode of ricky gervais's deadly serious in north america subscribe to sirius xm internationally on itunes and amazon under audiobooks and youtube.com slash ricky gervais